I hear whispers on the changing winds. Time is money turns to time over money. That thing you can't buy more of. The gift more precious than gold to both receive and give. In time, our careers evolve, taking us closer to our passions or seemingly farther away. But time itself changes not. 60 second minutes adding up to hours and days, evening and morning. Six days of work, one day of sweet rest. This is the rhythm of life given to us by our creator. The one who is not afraid of slowness or stillness or space on our calendars unfilled simply because. As we journey back to the heart of this creator, May we look to the prophets in our culture, the ones who resist the pull of always busy, always producing, the ones who never forgot how to play, who have hobbies and make things with their hands, the ones who have room on their couch for you and for me. Maybe slow down and learn from people like Christina and Sean Barr. I'm here today with Sean and Christina Barr. Um, you know, it's really fun to have all these conversations on the podcast, you know, with people that I'm just connecting with. But sometimes I get to highlight some of the amazing people that I that I call friends. So Sean and Christina would would have a rightful place on this podcast if I heard about them from a distance, but it just so happens that I know them very well. So it's a joy to be able to share their story with you guys today. Um, thank you guys for both being on the podcast. Thanks yeah, for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. Okay, can you get started by just sharing a little bit about your family and life together? So we are in Phoenix. Um, we both are actually born and raised here. Um, went to school in Indiana for four years and then happily came back because we did not want to be in the snow. Correct. Um, so we have lived here. We have two kids. We're located in the Mesa Tempe area. Um, and then we, we both are employed in different sects of the workforce. Yeah. Awesome. And how old are your kids? Uh, Rowan is three and Odin is 10 months. I think when you say kids, right, there's like a picture in someone's mind of like, oh, what's what's your life like? And then you say that and you're like, oh, OK, uh-huh. that's what your life is like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what you would expect. Yes. Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> Parents of three year olds. You feel our pain. <laughs> and, and our joy. And the joy. Yeah. Yeah. There's the joy in there. You, like that's how you feel about two-year-olds with your first one until you hit three. And then you're like, oh, three. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So you guys both work in completely separate fields. Um, but I really wanted to have you on the podcast because I love the way that both your fields just, you know, obviously you share conversations, you interact, you encourage one another, but then also you have this cohesive sense of, of a family unit and of what it means to wrestle through your callings and continue to save space for each other, for your family, for your community. So we'll talk about that later in the podcast, um, but we're going to start with you, Christina, just sharing your work journey. So before we get to what you do today in your 
kind of Monday through Friday. Can you talk about what you did kind of coming out of college, moving back to Phoenix um, and what you felt called to, what your work was like then, and then kind of your journey to moving into what you do now in small business? Yeah. So um, actually from a, a pretty young age, I felt called to some kind of serving role within like the nonprofit community. Uh, my heart was always just oriented towards people that um, maybe just because of different circumstances or um, the way that our economy and structure is just set up. I was, my heart was always oriented towards people um, in situations that they just needed some kind of help. And from a young age, I remember like going to nonprofits and seeing some of the workers there and being like, I want to be that. I want to be that person. Um, the person that like people know and can come to for help and um, know them by name and care for them. And so I went, I went to college for a nonprofit degree in, it's a business nonprofit degree. And then when I graduated, I, um, my first job out of college was at the human services campus downtown, which is the primary homeless services campus in Phoenix. It has a thousand plus individuals every day that are experiencing homelessness and in, in need of services. And so I worked, um, my, I had a lot of roles. I started as in the post office and then worked my way up to, uh, assistant manager of like the primary intake area. And more than that, I was a case manager for special populations. So sex offenders, drug addicts, and mentally ill was my like three areas of specialty. Um, mm. and so I spent five years just kind of in the, in the heart of, heart of that serving, um, people experiencing homelessness within the the Phoenix community. Yeah. That's great. And what was it like to start to sense a transition out of that work? So I have always felt equally kind of the pull of helping individuals and then also this this essential balance, being able to care for myself and the people within my very close-knit community, like especially mm -hmm. Sean, that if I'm not caring for myself and my family, then there's literally no way I can care for others. Mm -hmm. And it it was such a strong, um, gosh, I don't, it just like, it in the nonprofit world, they often sort of make you out to be martyrs because it's like for your good work, we want you to work extra hours and that kind of stuff. And I just knew at my very core that I, that was not sustainable. And I would become somebody that was hardened and, and cynical and not, not kind. And yeah. so I started to feel that and I knew it wasn't sustainable for me. I knew, I knew something had to change. And my, and truthfully, my hope was that it would change to a non- another nonprofit or city agency that really respected my time and really valued their employees. Um, so that was kind of like where the shift started. And then kind of through a somewhat circuitous route, you ended up in um, small business. So was this, was that a surprise to you? Absolutely. I, <laughs> I don't, I truly don't think it would have happened unless I had a few really hard experiences that made it 
feel so unsustainable for me to live the life I was living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really think at least for that season and my current season of life, it was just God's way of being like, you need a fresh start. You need something, <clears throat> you need something new. And I was so like disenchanted, enchanted with the nonprofit world at that time that I was like, great, I'll do whatever, (laughs) whatever will give me like my life back. Uh, And not to, of course, not to say that all nonprofits are that way. I, I think there's a lot of really great leaders doing really great things that just, I, I was striking out. And so, (laughs) um, yeah, it was a, it was a big transition because my heart was never geared towards that. Um, Mm. Not that I like had anything against the business world, but my heart was just always set on like the nonprofit world and service industry. Yeah. So what has it been like to kind of discover your gifts and how it serves within? Well, let's back up. Um, tell us about what, what you do kind of in the day to day. What what businesses do you work for? And then as you talk about the roles how have you come to see your giftedness and your calling serving um, within those roles? Yeah. So I currently work for two different small businesses. Um, one is a shed company. It's called Urban Shed Concepts, and they make portable buildings. Um, so like a shed for your backyard. And then the other company is Form Floral, and they do weddings, special events. And then we also have a storefront where we do everyday celebrations. So birthdays, you know, anniversaries, all that kind of stuff. Um, Beautiful flowers. It's, it's very cool. But my role in both of them is the administrative side um, operations. And so I do um, between the two, I do accounting. I do, um, I do all of the HR payroll bookkeeping. Um, and then I do a lot of, um, employee communication, some customer communication, and then a fair amount of building out the structures within the organizations. So I sit on both leadership teams too. So great. So how, what was it that, you know, essentially kept you there? Like, how did you find a home there? Where, where, did your gifts kind of unexpectedly, surprisingly um, meet in the small business world? Yeah. So when I jumped in, I truly, it originally was like, I just need something sustainable in my life. And then to to no one's surprise, I was like, how is this meaningful? Like what, I I need to find meaning in this because like I'm enjoying the work, but my heart was always geared towards the service industry. And so as I kind of evaluated it, I really came to see just the importance of kind of the, the combination of a dreamer, which is typically the entrepreneur, and then somebody in the organization that can bring structure and actually make the tasks come to fruition. And I've, I've really been able to grasp a hold of this idea that um, if we're if we're doing what we're good at, so like if I can let the owners of the business do what they're good at, it's going to serve the greater community more. And most of them are not good at admin. That's just not (laughs) It's just not. And so I, 
I just think there's so much importance in, in those dreamers, like having that space to be who they are and excel their business while also having somebody that can take care of the day-to-day tasks and do it with pride and integrity and consistency, which is probably the the most important of, of them because it's really hard. A dreamer can often do it for a little while and then they, they fall back and they fall back because it's not their passion. And so I, yeah, I feel like I've just been able to find my, my role in that and, um, and been able to see how that has excelled both businesses. Um, it's been a huge weight off of both of their shoulders to be like, somebody's taking care of the payroll and the accounting, like, thank goodness, because it was like pulling teeth for them. Um, Mm. and ultimately the larger, you know, benefit of that is when small businesses succeed, like the employees, it's employing a lot of people, like between the two businesses, we're employing 25 people. Um, and then just like the flourishing of the community too, is obviously Mm. very important. So I think that's like my larger, my larger role of how I feel like it's, it's important. Hmm. Is that, I, I'm just curious as you, are there any other ways that you've kind of bumped up against, um, you know, obviously the brokenness in, in human services and nonprofit tends to be more clear and even as at the forefront of the mission, but um, small business and, and any sector is going to reveal different areas of brokenness and pain or struggle or ways that people are being dehumanized or whatever it might be. Um, What specifically have you come to see and experience through your work now in areas of brokenness with either employees or clients? So I think um, for both of my industries, there's, I mean, they're consumer industries and so there's sales Um, and so one of the, one of the things that we've realized in both companies is, it's just the brokenness tied up in sales, both from the consumer side and from the seller side. So like from our, from the seller side, there's a lot of ways that we could do sales in really skeezy ways if we wanted to. So like when somebody reaches out for their wedding, for example, I could upsell, them all kinds of stuff if I wanted to. Um, I could tell them they needed this, this, and this. And because it's like they're beautiful one time only, I could probably, I could probably like convince them of that, uh, yeah. even though it's not in their best interest. And so I think from a sales aspect, you can't just be company focused. You have to also be client focused too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think with both companies, we've seen that brokenness just in general of the potential ability to, to really like get people's money when it's not necessary. But also we've really tried to instill company values of like, what does the consumer need and how do we respect and honor them in that? And, and how do we help them? Because they are reaching out for a product. And so oftentimes it feels like we're, we're, taking advantage of them just because we're trying to sell them something. But the reality Mm. is there's a, there's a harmony that can exist where we're meeting a need and of what their need is Mm. and not taking advantage of them or going overboard, but really just listening and, and trying to apply what they're saying to what they're actually getting. Um, And then I think from the consumer side too, 
um, there's just a real brokenness in expectations and communication. Um, Mm. I think in general, there is a, anyone that's been in the service industry or the consumer industry of any kind knows that like customers are sometimes just nasty and, and they expect more out of you than uh, they should. And if you don't deliver what their expectations are, even if it's not communicated they're they can just like, they can make your life really hard. <laughs> um, yeah. And so one of the things that we, we try and remember often is like, they're probably having a bad day or a bad experience. This is not who they are as a human and, mm-hmm. and to really just give them grace in the process, but also set boundaries for our employees and let mm-hmm. our employees know, like, you don't have to be dehumanized or yelled at or screamed at, like that's, that's not okay. And it's not how you deserve to be treated as a human. And so um, we we're not treating the customer like that. And so we don't expect them to treat us like that. And we would never treat them like that. And so yeah, it's a hard balance of pushing back mm-hmm. and and figuring out how to like be kind and whatnot in the process. I think like we've had instances where brides are not happy. And at the end of the day, it's like doing as much as we can and being fair to them. Um, mm. That's just the right thing to do. And it's yeah. it's the way God like cares for people too. So, mm. yeah. And I can't help but think just when you talked about clear communication and all of these areas of kind of excellent and integrity administratively, how much that does kind of everything you can to fill the gap, you know, because ultimately like sometimes the problem is, oh yeah, I never explained that to you or, oh yeah, my email was like, eh, not, not the clearest or, oh yeah, I didn't get back to you in three days and just the problems that it creates. So just, I can't help but think in a consumer culture where there's sometimes you're doing as much as you can to meet, you know, the customer or client, but just the ex- the excellence of the administrative side and how that really does do a lot to mitigate problems that don't that don't need to happen. Yeah, it's huge. I think if you can anticipate what the general flow is, especially for like a wedding and and try and build out a process that really serves them well, the vast majority of the time it will serve them very well. Mm-hmm. And that administrative stuff is super important. So like getting back to them quickly because like it is a big day and it's an important day for them and it's just one day for us, but it's their day. Yeah. Uh, having the admin side is crucial. Like it, it's what holds a business together. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think people often realize how important that really is. Um, Cause like delivering the flowers is, is one day, the communication mm-hmm. up to the wedding, six months, nine months, um, lots of back and forth, lots of responding. Um, And at the end of the day, they remember their flowers, but they remember the communication too. So, yeah. yeah. Like, let me show you my inbox. This is what (laughs) my inbox is what creates this one thing. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. So what has it been like for you to kind of journey in your faith, just understanding um, what it means to join God and his story? You know, we like to talk about God is in the business of restoring all things. Yeah. How has working in small business shifted your understanding of what it means to play your part in God's story? I think it's really beautiful to have to find God's like 
presence and meaning in the more mundane and not as explicit tasks of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like within a small business, there's a lot of mundane small tasks, but like the larger, the larger reality is like a small business can have a huge impact on its community. And so like not only its employees, but also they're interacting with a lot of people every single day. And, and Mm -hmm. there's a huge impact that that can have. And I really do think like what makes most flourish or most cities flourish is, is the small businesses, like the larger businesses exist. um, But the ones that are relationally connected to that community are the small businesses. And so, um, yeah, I think it's been really cool to be able to, to kind of see that in the larger scope of, um, just like doing good work for God and um, furthering furthering the city and its employees. I don't mm-hmm. know if that answers it, but. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, I, I think about sort of the movement and the narrative of scripture that we start with this garden, but we end with a city and how all throughout the movement of scripture, we're seeing cities and societies um, created. We're seeing the land cultivated into towns and into government and, the whole vision of God is that we would end with the city because that means that humans have joined with him to cultivate and create. And yeah, what makes a city except so many, you know, whether it's the solopreneur that's, you know, just cooking the food that their mom, that their mom taught them to cook in their kitchen or, you know, a business that's starting to multiply, whatever it is, like that is sort of the fabric of, how we get our everyday flowers and food and sheds. By the way, I looked up urban urban sheds. I'm getting that name right, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I never wanted a shed in my backyard until I saw these. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're pretty fun. Cool sheds on there. Like some like with like custom windows. And mm-hmm. anyways, that was exciting. I, um, one of the things I've actually been learning in Surge recently, we've been talking about like when God restores the earth like when he Mm. comes back and restores and like how I just always envision like how beautiful like small businesses will still exist like they're they're not inherently like (laughs) the sin that will fall away and like (laughs) uh, like the service like the homeless industry that wouldn't have existed you know that wouldn't exist but um like there's something so inherently good and Mm. pure in small businesses that like that's how, that's how businesses started. And even the big ones, like they started small, you know? Yeah. So yeah. So good. Mm. Okay. Well, I could talk about sheds and flowers for much longer. Um, well, actually before, before I, before I put you in the hot seat, Sean, can you share if we wanted to see the flower shop, where, where is it? Where are you guys located? The actual physical store? So it's in a complex called the Frederick. It's like, 12th Missouri. 12th Street in Missouri. Um, and the flower shop itself is called Forum Floral. Awesome. Okay. Okay, Sean. So you do not work with flowers or uh well shed. Well, Actually, hey, there's some on. overlap. Come on. <laughs> I did the build out for Forum Floral. <laughs> oh, okay. So they're okay. Let's I work so with let's flowers. <laughs> he does not work with flowers. <laughs> Okay, so this now we're talking about doing a build out and sheds, but somehow we're going to switch to education. So it'll all make sense um, as the conversation 
unfolds. But so what the field that you have been in formally is education. Um, and you've done that since college. So let's start there. What initially drew you to education? Uh, so initially it was my eighth grade teacher, uh, Mr. Reed, who also happened to be my cross country coach. Um, it was the hardest English class I've ever taken in my life, but he was such a great and phenomenal teacher and just made a lasting impression on me. So Mm -hmm. it kind of really drove a desire to go into that industry. That's great. And then, so you started, you, you did not start in high school where you're at now. Um, where did you start kind of your teaching process? So uh, we both graduated in 2012, and I promptly got hired uh, at Monta Vista Elementary School teaching fourth grade. And I taught fourth grade for four years and then needed a change. So I dropped down to second grade English language development for another two. Uh, And that is when my ideal job was introduced to me in the form of Uh, construction technologies, which I didn't entirely know was a possibility. So back in 2017, uh, this one I found out about this role and then initially applied to be a geometry and construction teacher. Got it, but had to go teach middle school for a couple years to meet some certification credentials. (laughs) So, you know, a little, little blemish on the story, but and then I, I taught two years of seventh grade mathematics and then was able to finally make my move to high school where I taught a year and a half of geometry and construction before uh, a vacancy in the construction position opened up and I was able to slide in last January. Right after we had a baby. Right after we had a baby. Yeah, the vacancy opened up and I said, I'll take it, but I still am on paternity leave for the next two to three weeks. <laughs> Isn't that how things happen? <laughs> it's just the way it goes. So you're you're now in the promised land, but you had to pass through the desert of teaching middle, middle school math. I did. And what a desert it was. <laughs> God bless middle school teachers. Yeah, so you, it go for it. No, yeah, go ahead. It uh it was it was disappointing to say the least. I mean, I I interviewed and I got the position and I I did not sign my contract to return where I was and then got a phone call uh that that things could not progress. So I had to go back to my school and grovel for a job back and then once they said yes, I had to take it a step farther and ask specifically to teach middle school math which they were more than okay with me doing. <laughs> So, uh, I think it, whoever's listening that has their sights set on something within their industry, um, yeah, I think Sean is a great example of someone who has persevered through several years to get to a position that is uh, really in kind of his sweet spot of of vocation and calling. So, what what makes construction technologies such a sweet spot for you? It marries your calling and education with your love for yeah talk about your love just for building and working with your hands yeah uh so i really enjoy carpentry uh especially fine carpentry so uh in the past we've made desks we've made kitchen islands we've done a store build out for form floral we've done children's toys all the gamut of things right 
Um, so having this position really ties my love for working with my hands for my love with education. Mm, so good. And guys, this Sean isn't just like, you know, whittling some, some things that look like, you know, halfway decent. It's, it's some pretty, pretty beautiful work that, that he does. And him and Christina partnered are like envision design and create. And yeah, it's really, really cool. Really special to see, um, the things that married a dreamer and doer. <laughs> yes, a creator, a, and yeah, this is where you get to play the dreamer role, Christina. I know it's probably the only place, but yes. <laughs> okay, so this role, construction technologies. So you're the construction technologies teacher at South Mountain High School. Yep. Can you talk a little bit, kind of zooming out to the school about how the school is uniquely structured? Because I think that's what makes space for the uniqueness of the role that you do. Yep. So we uh, we take the academies model, which means that our students, they enter in as freshmen and they're part of our freshman academy. So they get to take all their general elective courses and then they get to spend the year exploring all the different opportunities our school offers. And then when they do their course selections for sophomore year, they start thinking long term. So we have three other academies. We have media, art and design public and social service, and then science and technologies. And they can choose one of these academies that they'll primarily focus electives in. And then some of their core subject areas are tied to that specific elective. For example, when I entered the high school, I was teaching geometry and construction. So we were a block with the construction tech course where we paired all the geometry content directly to the construction industry. So they would sit in the class and learn the concepts and then go to the lab and put it to use. Mm. And so the academy's model really tries to hone in on a student's interest because they're going to be with us for four years. So we don't want to just pump them through a system of requirements. We want them to get an education geared towards their desires. Seems like it's similar to when I've when I've talked to people in other, other countries, their education model starts to kind of hone in on certain gifts and passions sooner than ours that sort of keeps you in this general model for a lot longer. Has are, Have you heard that, what has shaped kind of this vision for education? Uh, I, I think you nailed it. I think just kind of if you get students to buy in and get students interested in what they're learning, you're going to see tremendous, tremendous outcomes, both in attendance, participation, overall achievement. And then what we do is we focus on both college and or career readiness. We understand that not all of our students are going to go on a higher education. So what direction can we go and how far can we go to get you best ready for the work environment? Right. So, Mm -hmm. for example, last year, we had two graduating seniors who passed all their pharmacy tech certifications. They graduated, turned 18, and they were fully licensed and ready to go into the field. Oh, wow. And I think it's really important because the area that Sean's school is in, it's, I mean, it's a title one school and it's just a little bit, it's not as realistic that all these kids will be able to afford to go to college. And so the college and career readiness model is really important for these kids because they realistically just need opportunities outside of college too. Yeah. 
So since entering this, this role, um, you've kind of been building out this program and doing some new things. Can you talk about what you've been pressing into? Oh yeah. I've got, I've got big plans. <laughs> uh, so currently we are a two-year pathway. So students can start taking my class as early as their sophomore year, construction one, two. And then uh, once they finish through that class, they can go into construction three, four, at which point they can do senior internships and they can actually leave school early to go internship with another company and mm -hmm. earn college credit and then or not college credit, high school credit, and then often employment after that. But we are also partnering with a lot of industry leaders within the Valley, and we are having trades professionals coming in to work with our kids multiple times within any unit, right? So we're in electrical right now in our three, four class. We had a electrical superintendent as well as a mid-voltage electrician come out and speak to our students, you know, more than I can speak to them because these guys are actually in the field, right? And then in about two weeks when we're mid-build, they're going to come back out and work with our students hands-on in the lab and then give them critique and feedback towards the work that they're doing. And they're going to get to see the progress that our students are making. And our students are going to get hands-on work and feedback from actual professionals in the field. Mm, so good. So construction one, two, like what, what is, what are the classes structured towards? What, what do kids do during, during these classes? Yeah. So one, two is structured towards uh, safety, hand power tool, blueprinting. We do applied mathematics and then carpentry framing. So they'll learn to frame out uh, floors, walls, and roofs. And then if they decide to come back for three, four, we hit a different trade almost every month. So we'll do building layout. We'll do stairs, which is still part of carpentry framing. Then we'll do electrical, plumbing, concrete, masonry, drywall, insulation, an exterior finish roof, door, and window. So basically everything needed to finish out a house. Yep. So mm -hmm. our one, two students last year built a 14 by 16 foot home on a three foot sub floor. And then, so it's, you know, about 17, 18 feet tall. And they wow. framed that all out. And those same students are coming back this year. And as they're completing these other trade units, they're going to take it into that home. So once we note take and learn the different concepts of electrical theory and then we practice it out in the lab we'll take what we've learned and take what we practiced into that home and then we will wire that home we'll run outlets and switches we'll run lighting and fixtures and then we'll do the same thing for plumbing and then we'll insulate it and drywall it and we'll wrap it and everything so mm -hmm. come may this two-year-long project will be a completed a completed demonstration house for the mm -hmm. students to show everything that they've learned. Are you guys going to move in to the house? Absolutely. <laughs> Prove like, I trust you guys this Listen, much. My commute would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so cool to think about for high schoolers to get the opportunity to really get this real world experience, connect with people in the fields. What does that do for kind of their perception of working in construction? I think honestly, what we've really done is knock down a lot of barriers. I mean, no, you always hear about, well, you could always go do construction or if, if you don't graduate or if you don't get a job, you can always go do construction. But construction is a career. Mm -hmm. You can go as far and as great as you want in this industry. And there really are no limits, right? We 
like I said, we bring in trades professionals who are working on massive skyscrapers downtown, who are part of the current Broadway curve renovation here in Phoenix. You know, what students are seeing is, wow, like, I enjoy this. I'm good at this. I can make a life out of this, right? Yeah. This isn't just something that you can go do and be a manual laborer. No, this is something that you can really pour a career into invest into and be in for the long haul. And let's say you want to be in the field for a set amount of time, but you no longer want to be in the field. Well, now you can be a project manager or you can run the office or you can start to climb the ladder within your company and be on the board of executives for them. So good just to reframe the imagination for not only what work matters and where you can find meaning, but then also to open up this vision of a life in this industry, you know, where most people just see it as a fallback. Absolutely. Um, like they've heard, they've heard it talked about in a way that's maybe degrading or shows it as like plan B instead of like, oh, wait, this, this is something that, that I could do and find a lot of fulfillment in based on my gifts and passions. Absolutely. And I think a lot of things that are encouraging our students is, as we meet with different businesses and as we enter and view different trades, they can see, hey, I want to get into this. Okay, well, instead of four years college, I can enter this four-year apprenticeship where my apprenticeship is a paid opportunity for on-the-job training. The apprenticeship itself is paid for by my company. So not only are you getting paid to learn and work, they're taking care of any course fees you have. So I'm going to come out of this four years debt-free, earning money, being hired, and a journeyman versus a potential college path where I could be completely indebted, right? Students are getting excited to see there are other opportunities. And that's a lot of what we do, right? So we prepare our students for college, right? We want to gear them up, whether it's community college or to go to construction management or engineering through ASU or any other in-state university, but we also recognize that there are 18 other paths out there to make you equally as successful as any of your peers. You just have to know what's out there. So really getting kids information is what we're about. Mm, so good. I just love, I love how powerful it is to reframe people's perspective. Um, so they don't feel like they have to go down a path that is not you know, the right fit for them, or that puts a lot of strain on their family, you know, kids maybe that have responsibility for their family and um, perhaps like playing a role and supporting their family or providing or needing to be close, just all the dynamics that make it feel impossible to pursue the one path that we hold up as ideal. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, like, actually, no, there's 18 pathways and what, what, what kids really need oftentimes is just the access relationally and the information for that. So great. Um, okay. Well, I could talk about this for so much longer, um, but I do want to make some space for you guys to share just a bit about, I think what has made it viable for both of you to continue to work and press into your, your kind of career and calling um, and be able to continue to have a cohesive sense of, of those things without burning out has been this important of having boundaries on your time. Um, we've talked about it a little bit with you, Christina, but what has been 
what have been some of the things that as your family life has shifted, as the world has shifted, as community has shifted, that have been really important to kind of continue to sustain you, whether it's practices of Sabbath or just simply putting limits on the hours that you work or um, hobbies that you that you practice that that keep you present kind of with your bodies, with God, with each other? I think one of the the overarching things that is just like core to both Sean and I's value are it's like time over money. Absolutely. Um, like we we will almost always pick time over extra money. And so um both of us has, have very much oriented our work towards that. And so like when when Sean gets home, like he does not work anymore. Mm-hmm. And I work from home. So I have to set very clear boundaries of like my my computer goes off, my email is not answered after basically 4 p.m. Um, and like strict boundaries because for us to sustain in anything we do, there has to be that separation yeah. and spending time with our kids, like only getting an hour a day with our kids is not, for us, it's not sustainable. It's not enough and it's not what we value. And so like work comes to a halt when, when it's time to be done. (laughs) Yeah. When I come home, I mean, I don't have work email on any of my devices personally, so Mm -hmm. it's done. Right. Um, you get a little, you get some looks at work for it. Like, Hey, did you get my email? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, you know, I apologize, but you emailed me after three 30 and my contract day is done and I abide by my contract time. And I, I bust my hump between those hours, right? I take a working lunch and a working prep pretty much every single day. And like Christina said, it's, it's the priority you set. It's the number one thing I tell new teachers is you either work hard before school or you burn the candle at the end, but you don't do both. You'll never make it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, that's, those are some words right there. I like, that seems like, oh yeah, simple enough. But I think for most of us, it is not simple enough. Like we constantly feel that pull because, because of access to email. And, and so just totally removing those things as options and having those boundaries. Yeah. I imagine it's been important. Yeah, we have, I think the other, maybe there's, I think maybe two other things that are important. This year we've started doing Sabbath um, and that's been really, really cool. Um, We don't have tons of structure around it except no technology um, and just not a lot of plans. No errands. Um, Yeah, we really try and not... I mean, even during the week, we just try and not pack our schedule um, because then there leaves no time to like take a deep breath and and breathe in your surroundings if you're going from one thing to the next. And one of the things I've I've always felt is that there's this like cultural pull to to just be busy and to fill your to do list. And um, I just don't think that's. I don't think it's necessary and I don't think it's sustainable. And I, and I don't really think that's how Jesus lived either. And so that's something like we really try and, and not just like grind all the time, but like, there's a lot of space in our, in our weeks where we're like, 
we don't have anything tonight. And that's intentional. Like (laughs) that's, that's very intentional. Yep. Um, Or to come off of a week where we had something three or four nights in a row. And it's just like, Hey, yeah, let's do literally nothing Mm -hmm. for the next night or two, you know? And I think the other thing that's been really important to us, it's probably more, more Sean than me is actually, no, I would say me too, is not just having that space but what we do with that space too and so like we have a garden in our backyard and like yesterday we did a camping day in our backyard with our kids and like set up a tent and built a fire and roasted s'mores and made dinner over the fire and like the tangible work that you can do with your hands too and and sean has obviously lots of woodworking hobbies i I like to tinker that's a hobby person i like to tinker (laughs) Um, but that bring that like breathes life, like resting is not always literally physically resting. It's, it's it's also what you find rest in, Yeah. right? Like for me personally, exercise, I find so much rest and rejuvenation through exercise that Mm -hmm. as odd as it sounds to go to the gym for an hour and a half or to go for a run, like that is more restoring to me than a nap would be. Mm -hmm. Something that I've always I think two things that I've always found to be true about you guys, just as friends is one, you have space and time in your life, like you said, um, which is very important for friendship. And I think it's what's sustained as, you know, we've had moves in our life and I've been in different cities and in different States and now a different country. <laughs> like I, there's always, there's always an open space on your couch for me. Um, and <laughs> I'm going to get emotional. Um, just this reality of like, you guys have welcomed me and my kids in in very vulnerable times. And it's just because you have that space. If you were off doing a million things, it just wouldn't be there. And so just that and how, how valuable that is um, in today's world. And then, yeah, you guys have always just been the like creative hobby couple. Like, <laughs> Like you, you just like whether, but it's like you're built, like you're building new things in your house or you're just like working, doing, throwing pots, like make, you know, like working with, <laughs> with ceramics, like, but it's always just been the new, like this thing that you do, like, oh, this weekend we did this. And it's just always so creative. And I've always been like, you just, you can just do that with your life. Like, I, like you can just do that. Like, that's great. And I'm always in, um, want in in want of more of that um and just the creativity that it that it produces and just the sustainability like you said but then also like I just feel like it makes you not take yourself so seriously you know like you're just humans that just need to play and create and exist in your space with each other and with others and it it really stops from kind of your work becoming this um, sense of meaning and purpose that is overextended beyond what it was intended to be. Um, And I just think it's such a prophetic witness um, to what it means to just live life as humans kind of, um, yeah, before God. So well, thanks. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know that our life feels like that artfully crafted, but you really made it sound like that. And that's the thing. It's like, you're not trying to be that way. It really is. It really is just living out of who you are and being aware of, of the things in life and in the world that could hinder you from being that, you know, and it's, 
as you resist those pulls, you can continue to walk in the people that God has kind of created you to be. Okay. I have one fun last question, um, for you guys. If you got to partner on an initiative together, um, let's say you got a a multi-million dollar grant. So just a ton of funds and you got to team up what, what initiative or business or, um, project would you work on together with that, with that money? So I feel like this comes from a conversation with you, but Mm -hmm. we have had a a heart and a desire for a really long time Mm -hmm. that has morphed a little bit, but it started as we wanted our own, like Colts Codesac or commune, what was it? A a non-creepy commune. Yeah. We want a (laughs) cul-de-sac and we want to buy every house. Um, I, I think they call that the new monastic communal living. <laughs> right. There you call, go. It, call it what you want. It's probably a better name for it. But we would love to have a community that literally lives next to each other mm-hmm. of believers. And then I personally would love to partner with um, either a refugee agency or like a single mom or a a teen mom or something, a, a family or something that needs a home and maybe have like two or three homes, if I'm dreaming big, two or three homes that the people on that street mm-hmm. own that they pay rent for or they pay the mortgage for. And I guess that could come from the millions. <laughs> That's from the uh, millions. That's why you can give me the deposits. Listen, the um, millions were buying these houses outright. And, and truly do life like alongside each other. And I have found so much value in, in just being in everyday experiences with people that are different. And I think everyone would, would just learn from each other. Absolutely. We want to take knowing your neighbor to the next level and have knowing our neighbors turn into serving with our neighbors Mm -hmm. and just like, know that like, we can come together as a street to lift up, you know, these people who are taking space in these homes who really need it. And we can bind around them and just be there in literal proximity mm-hmm. anytime, any day. Well, if anyone out there is listening that has millions that wants to help buy up the houses in a neighborhood and live out this vision. That's right. <laughs> And once Tina comes back, we have That's to convince her to move next to us. <laughs> Tina, I'm working on my neighbor for you. Don't worry. <laughs> ready to sell sometime soon. Maybe we could just serve her. We I don't just... know. Instead of forcing her out. You gotta give. You gotta give a little. Take a little. Give a little. That's right. Oh, uh, guys, this has been. Um, yeah, just a real privilege and joy to be able to just spend time with you and then um, just have an opportunity to share share your guys's story and life uh, with our listeners. So thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to learn more about us or find more resources, you can visit our website, searchnetwork.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. If you have a question, you can also reach out by email, info at surgenetwork.com.